We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Understanding this gospel. I don't know how long this is going to last. It probably will last like 12 weeks. We might have to bring back Fridays. Yeah. Yeah, We might have to bring back Fridays. There's so much to cover. So I've broken them into, into, into sections to make it easy for us to remember. I'm just going to run through that and then we'll, we'll do an introduction and close for today. But by the end of the thing, we're looking at the message of the gospel. What was, what was the message of the gospel? You know, Jesus preached the gospel, right? And he told them to preach the gospel. He told them he came to preach the gospel. You know, we know that he came to die and, and be buried and be resurrected, right? And we have always preached that as the gospel. Is it the gospel? Is it the gospel? Some people are saying no. They are afraid. First Corinthians 15. Some people are like, ah, let me not come and answer the one that I don't know. And then they now, no, it's fine. It's just a teaser. Are we all there? 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the what? Come on. I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. So the gospel is preached, the gospel is received, the gospel enables you to stand, and the gospel saves you. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. He begins to then unpack what the gospel is. Verse 2, verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. Present at the time that he was writing, they were alive. Okay? But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, so I am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So he explains the gospel as Christ dying. First of all, he says he preached the gospel. The gospel, they receive the gospel. And they stand in the gospel. And they are saved by the gospel. And he explains that the gospel is that Christ died according to the scriptures. Right? He was buried and resurrected according to the scriptures. He appeared to a lot of people, so no one can refute 
his, his resurrection. Right? And he says that is the gospel. Hmm? It's in scripture, right? Okay. And we all agree. Okay, we can't argue with scripture. Right? Jesus preached the gospel. Right? The gospel is that Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried and resurrected according to the scriptures. Hmm? That's the gospel. Paul makes that clear. For we preach Christ, I determined to know nothing among you other than Christ and Christ crucified. That's the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1, 16. But it's the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. They went in Acts chapter 2, they preached the gospel. They went in Acts 17, they preached the gospel. They went in Acts 26, they preached the gospel. Jesus preached the gospel. Right? He said this gospel of the kingdom must be preached. All over the earth, and then come. He says in Luke four that there are other cities that have to go and preach this gospel as well, right? Right? If the gospel is Christ died, buried, and resurrected, what then was Jesus preaching if he had not died, calling the gospel? Because Jesus preached the gospel, right? And he said he has to go around. There are other cities in which he has to preach the gospel. I repeat, we have seen from scripture, and there's a host of others, that the gospel is the death, burial, resurrection, and of course, ascension, because that activated everything of Jesus according to the scripture. Uh, And that's true. But how can a Jesus who has not yet died preach the gospel? Is it sensible that Jesus preached his death, burial, and resurrection? Because at the time he had not died, so men were not saved. So what was Jesus preaching? As the gospel. Now, if you meet an intellectual, these are the kind of questions they will ask you. That's why I said the man of God, the woman of God, must be what? Thoroughly furnished. That's where Christians or Pentecostals are way behind. And we don't know these things because we're not taking time to dwell in the word. Or not? It's not exciting. And so somebody will meet you and ask you a question. So if this is the gospel, and the man hadn't died, hadn't paid for sin, hadn't been crucified, but he preached the gospel everywhere he went, what gospel did he preach? Is that a different gospel? When you understand the message Christ preached as the gospel, Understand the message he told his disciples to preach. Understand the message that Paul preached. Then you have a full working knowledge of the gospel. Then the message of the gospel is complete. So we're exploring the message of the gospel. Is that arresting your attention already? We'll be exploring 
the facets of the gospel, the different dimensions of the gospel. I'm just giving you an overview. So for instance, it's called so many things. It's called the gospel of peace, right? Ephesians 6. It's called the gospel of grace. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4. It's called the gospel of Christ. Yeah? It's called the gospel of God. It's called the gospel of the kingdom. But it's one gospel. Not many gospels. But different facets to the gospel. Different dimensions to the gospel. We'll explore the facets of the gospel. We'll also explore the premise of the gospel. The premise on what the gospel is predicated. The premise. What informs the gospel? What gives rise to the gospel? The message of the gospel, the facets of the gospel, the premise of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel. What the purpose intends, what the gospel rather intends to achieve. We'll also explore the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. The ability of the gospel. We'll explore the audience of the gospel. Who was the gospel meant for? How come every time the gospel was preached to Jews, they were asked to repent? How come when the gospel was preached to Gentiles, they were not asked to repent? You know, we, we miss little things like this in scripture. Every time the message was preached to Jews, every time John preached the gospel, every time Jesus preached the gospel, every time his disciples preached the gospel, he was heralded with repent. Until grace came in its fullness. He began to preach to the Gentiles and all the Gentiles were being told was believe. <laughs> what happened? What changed? They begin to explore what repent means and what the context of it in the light of the fact that Jesus was preaching to the Jews or the gospel was being preached to the Jews. And they begin to explore whether repentance referred to sin in the first place. The premise of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, the audience of the gospel. And it repented God that he made man. At the same time, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. <laughs> Who is the audience of the gospel? What facet of the gospel is applicable to what audience at what particular time? So why are the Jews being told to repent? The Gentiles just told, believe and confess. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Was the Ethiopian eunuch, was he told to repent? 
don't see me. See what I hear right now. Just baptize me. <laughs> what was different for the Jews and what was different for the Gentiles? They begin to explore the whole fullness of the old covenant or law versus the new covenant or grace and its intended audiences. When you begin to understand that Gentiles were never under the law. When you begin to understand that Gentiles never rejected Christ as the Messiah because they were not expecting anybody to do anything for them. They ruled the Jews. The Jews were expecting a Messiah to deliver them from the Gentiles. And the Messiah came and they rejected him because they had a mindset of who the Messiah should be. They were told to repent means change of mind. Gentiles did not need to be told to repent because their mind was never made up against Christ. They just didn't know him. The demand of the gospel we will explore. What the gospel demands to its hearers. The effect of the gospel. What are the evidences, as it were, of the gospel? We'll explore that. Don't go to Facebook tonight and think you have learned something today. You understand? Just wait. Tell anybody, just wait. (laughs) Just wait. (laughs) The effect of the gospel, the product of the gospel. The reward of the gospel. The price of the gospel. I wish God's word will excite you like it excites me. The reward of the gospel. The practice of the gospel. And lastly, we'll look at the passion of the gospel. The message of the gospel, the facets of the gospel, the premise, the purpose, the power, the audience, the demand, the effects, the products, the price, the reward, the practice, and the passion. Yeah, I might even change the order as we go along. It doesn't matter. It's like the great exchange. It will all come together at the end. Now, some of you have not been consistent. Some of you have just joined us. But this is not a time to miss out on these teachings. Are you listening to me? It's not a time. It's not a time. I've said over and over that you, you become serious in your work with God where you're able to work your life around your pursuit of God. Not work God around your pursuit of life. I repeat, you are a serious believer when you learn to work... Who is that? Oh, Abigail. To work... Life around your pursuit of God. Not, are you listening to me? Not work God around your pursuit of life. For the last time. You are a serious believer when you work life around your pursuit of God. Not work or try to work God around your pursuit of life. Don't miss these teachings. It's beginning to get really, really serious. So does this sound exciting? So let's try and and drop an introduction today. What is the gospel? 
Part one, what is the gospel? If I asked what, what's the gospel, I'm sure we'll have all kinds of different answers. What is the gospel? One of the problems we have had as a church is that we have seen the gospel, and we'll talk about this in the message of the gospel. We have seen the gospel as what we only preach to get people saved. Once they are saved, you yeah, now give them the word. <laughs> or your version of it. But the gospel is basically synonymous with altar call. True or false? The gospel is what you preach. Like, you don't preach the gospel in church. You preach the gospel to the unsaved. Or to the unsaved in church. Which in itself is a problem. But the gospel is seen as what we just, what we share to get the unsaved saved. And once they are saved, what is the gospel? I've, shared, I've, I've said it here many times that the gospel comes from the Greek word what? Evangelion. I've spelt it for you. I've said it here many times if you're, if you're listening. That's the difference between those of you who are actually following my teachings and those of you who are not. And it's part of the honor code, right? You can't say you love a man and not subscribe to his teachings. You can't say you love a man and not remember what he teaches you. You can't say you're following a man or you're being discipled by a man whose teachings you do not subscribe to and remember and live by. Because, you know, like I said, it's one message. So everything, everything we're talking about is coming from the same message. It's all interwoven. Evangelion, right? Evangelion, E-U. When you spell evangel, I-O-N at the end, evangelion, is actually evangelion, E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-O-N, evangelion. You get it? Evangelion. <laughs> what is E-U-A-N-G-E-L-I-O-N? And evangelion in the Greek simply means glad tidings or good news. That's all. Glad tidings. It means good news or glad tidings. In the, in the King James, it appears about 77 times in the New Testament in different formats, different variations. I spoke about that earlier. It, 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 it appears as the gospel of peace. It appears as the gospel of grace. It appears as the gospel of God. It appears as the gospel of Christ. And it appears as the gospel of the kingdom. And even the kingdom, it appears in two variations. The, the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah? Evangelion. So, it's good news, glad tidings. If it's glad tidings, then it means that it is something that is exciting to hear. Right? Right? Later on, the gospel came to mean the four books of the New Testament that the early church scholars thought contained the message of the gospel. Alright, so the word itself, evangelion, means glad tidings or good news, right? It was used a few times until it now also got to 
been, be the name of the books that early church fathers thought or believed contains the good news. Hence, the gospel according to Matthew. The gospel according to Mark. The gospel according to Luke. And the gospel according to John. And that's why I say, Pav, that the gospel we are saved by is the gospel according to Paul. So, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John came to be known as the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels because they, co- they correlate with one another. They all agree with, with one another. Most of the accounts you find in Matthew, you find in Mark and in Luke. But this is what I call the Gospel. If, it, if I take you back to, why I, to what I said earlier in the running through the overview, if the Gospel is about Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, at what point did these Gospels become the Gospel? What really is the gospel in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that saves us? Being born again, Jesus only preached it once. And he only preached it to one man, Nicodemus. Jesus never spoke publicly about being born again. He spoke to one man in one sitting. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. In one city, one conversation. If 1 Corinthians 15, remember that scripture? How that Christ died according to? And that's the gospel. If it hadn't happened yet, then we really can't call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the gospel until the end. And even the end does not inform us of what it did for us. Matthew ends in 28. Go and make disciples. Yeah? Mark ends with, go and preach the gospel. John says, we just wrote these small things, chapter 21, <laughs> that you believe, because if we're going to write everything, even the whole world will not contain the books that will be written. So really, the promise is not seen as fully manifested in any of the four gospels. Why then are they called the gospel? Why is it called the gospel? Good news. Jesus' birth. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not the good news. It was good news, yes. But it's not the good news. He died, yes. Resurrected, yes. Ascended, yes. And then what? How does that help me? That is the good news. What all of that did for me is the good news. Telling me that somebody died is not good news. What's good about that? You have to be somebody very say, you know what? Jesus died for you. Ah! What do happen to him? That's why a lot of unbelievers struggle to connect with us when we go on the street and preach the gospel. You know, Jesus died for you. Did I send him? And so to preach the gospel, you must understand the premise of the gospel. Make sense? And the gospel starts from Genesis chapter 3. That's where the gospel starts. Because God was angry and he was going to punish man. He ended up blessing and redeeming man. So right in the wrath of God, you see the love of God. He can't help himself. (laughs) That's where the gospel starts. 
So the gospel, I'm going ahead of myself now. <laughs> so the gospel is not about salvation. The gospel is about what salvation brings you to. The gospel is not about being saved. That's why a lot of us in church settle once we are saved. You settle. I'm saved. Then what? We'll talk about that in the message of the gospel. So eventually, Evangelion came to mean the four books that the writers thought contained the message. So I personally call them the historical books of the ministry of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because all of them are still Old Testament. Because Hebrews makes it clear that they cannot be said to be a testament in force until the death of the testator. So everything Jesus did while he was alive was Old Testament. And but Jesus said they should pay tight. One, no, he didn't say so. Two, it was Old Testament because the law was still in force. That's why he kept it, fulfilled it in full. And then smashed it in fulfilling it, fulfilled it in smashing it. Because when he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. At the same time, he's telling them, who was the law made for the Sabbath? Or was the Sabbath made for... The Lord is, he is both Lord of the Sabbath. So I can heal on the Sabbath. And I have not broken the Sabbath. Because I am the Sabbath. Who was made for who? How can the law break the law? He kept it in full. He operated under the law. That's why he was circumcised according to the law. Make sense? He was not instituting baby dedication. We come to dedicate this child to the Lord. The way Jesus was taken to the temple on the eighth day. No, he was not, he was not instituting a doctrine of baby dedication. He was just fulfilling the requirements of the law. He was baptized for repentance. Ah, because John baptized for repentance. He told them, I'm baptizing for repentance. But one is coming who will baptize with the Holy Ghost and the fire. So he made it clear, I am baptizing you for repentance, but he will come and baptize you for salvation. If John was baptizing for repentance, at the time of them being baptized for repentance, their sins should have been forgiven. If repentance meant forgiveness... At the point they were being baptized for repentance by John, their sins would have been forgiven. He baptized them for repentance and still tell them, behold the lamb that came to take away your sin. His baptism had nothing on their sin. That's why he would say, behold the lamb of God that came to take away your sin. Because what I did here did nothing to your sin. I just programmed your mind to see that he is coming. Repent. That's what repentance means. A change of mind. A change of mindset. 
It implies 180 degree turn. You're going this way. Suddenly light hits you. You go, whoa, that's what it is. All right. I'm going that way. That's all it, repentance means. Because salvation remains an exclusive act of God without the participation of a man. Yes. Yes, sir. It's not going to change. Yes, sir. It remains the exclusive act of God without the participation of a man. All you do is believe and receive. It didn't happen when you believed. It didn't happen when you received. You just received when you received. It didn't even happen in time. It happened from the foundation of the earth. That's why I've said over and over and over and over again, like it, take it or leave it, every sin committed met the price paid. Otherwise, God is not worthy to be God. He's a reactive God. You mess up, I come and now try to correct it. You now, you act up. I don't say, ah, why did you act up now? Let me now come and ref- let me repair it. If that was the case, how did he know to slay the lamb from the foundation of the earth? How did he know? How did he know? So all of that was Old Testament. <laughs> Until he died. And he rose after a new order. The order of Melchizedek starts to appear in rooms without using doors. <laughs> Stuff that he refrained himself from doing as son of man. He began to do as son of God. The New Testament begins after he died. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are historical accounts of the chronology of the ministry of Jesus. And even then, talking about chronology, it's not lined up according to time. There's no respect for time. So if you follow through the events in Matthew, you find that John says that his first miracle is water to wine. Matthew and Mark and Luke don't agree. Yeah, in Luke, he appears just healing sick people. Yeah, from Luke chapter 2. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power and he came healing. He just came healing people. He just shows up from the mountain after 40 days, just healing people for the fun of it. <laughs> this is just an introduction. So what was, the, what was the first miracle of Jesus? He turned water into wine. Yeah, so says John. Because John starts to write from a different timeline. That's why John doesn't tell you the genealogy of Jesus. He didn't have time for that. The business of John was not to tell you Jesus came from Mom, Joseph, who came from Mamzi, who came from Judah, who came from Levi. No, John had one, one clear mandate. This guy is the word. This guy is the son of God. This guy is God made flesh. Listen to him. He didn't have time to tell the genealogy. Luke chapter 4. <laughs> 14, Luke 4, 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified 
by all. Then he went in and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets into verse 31. Luke 4, 31. He went out to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's a demon speaking. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is. For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Next verse. Well, look, 30, look, look 4, right? 38 now. And he arose from the synagogue. Do you see his first miracle according to Luke? Yes. Okay. It's not wine to water. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother, as Simon's mother-in-law, was sick with a high fever. And they made request of him concerning her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and served them. 40. When the sun was setting, same day, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. Guess what? And he laid his hands on every one of them and he healed them. And that's Jesus on the roll. According to Luke, read according to Matthew, read according to Mark. Oh, the first miracle of Jesus was to turn water to wine. Yes, according to John. Does that happen at the beginning of his ministry? We don't know. Does that happen in the first year into his ministry? Does that happen on the third anniversary of his ministry? We don't know. And honestly, we don't care. All we know is that he can turn water to wine. But that was the first miracle or the hundred miracle. So... <laughs> so what? As you begin to understand the word, then begin to realize that all your Sunday school statistics don't help you work with God. Shortest verse in the Bible, longest verse in the Bible, longest verse, word, line, sentence in the Bible, uh, books, it doesn't help your work with God, it's statistics. What did I call it? Yeah, there's a difference between the knowledge of God's word and Bible statistics. Even the unbelievers know your statistics. Do you know how many verses are in the Bible? You don't. Just ask Google. She'll tell you. How many chapters in the Bible? It does, and you know, we've walked around for years, even our parents, feeling like we know the Bible. You know? In the Bible. Turn your Bible to the book of Romans. Romans is the sixth book in the New Testament. So? <laughs> so, <laughs> so what? Statistics don't aid your work with God. Revelation does. Revelation does. So, so those four books, as far as I'm concerned, are just historical accounts of 
the life and ministry of Jesus that gave birth to the New Testament. Do you understand? Do you understand? So, if we look at the word evangelion, good news, glad tidings, it, it, it means that the gospel is supposed to be refreshing. Right? It should be a thing of joy when it heard. Whatever the gospel is, whatever the gospel means, it should give reassurance. Not fear. There cannot be fear in the gospel if the gospel is good news. Oh, here's a car. You know, it's a beautiful car I bought for you. But be careful, owner. They are bombing people these days, so the car can blow. <laughs> if you don't, before you drive it, always check under to be sure that they have not strapped a bomb to the bottom of the car because if you, ch- you don't check it and there's a bomb, the bomb will blow. And it's not the fault of the person that made the car or the person that gave you the car. It will be your fault. Do you still want the key? It's killing people. Have you heard Federal Road Safety statistics of yesterday? How many people died on the wayside in cars? Be careful how you drive because this car can kill you. I'm just telling you, but the car has been paid for. But if you don't handle it with care, you die. I've given this key to this kind of car to other people and they have, they have died. Your chances of dying are higher inside a car than others. Here's the key. No, I'm, I'm just reminding you that is how you will not look after the car, the car will not look after you. Especially as an African, you start to suspect that car. And most importantly, the giver of the car. True or false? Why then do we preach the gospel like that? Why do you preach the gospel like that? Is that how he preached it? It's good news. Did this hit home for anybody? You are saved, but manage your salvation because, hey, how shall we escape? Walk it with fear. Let me tremble. Be careful before you collect it all. And you're thinking, you know what? Mm. And that's where we got the whole stupid doctrine of giving your life to Christ. You think, okay, before I give it to him, let me spend small. Most unbelievers are afraid because they feel like they give their life to Christ, they are finished. They can't live, they can't prosper, they can't f- fulfill destiny, they can't go anywhere in life once they give it to Christ. So, they, so I, I, most, most unbelievers intend to give him. They just want to spend a bit more of it. That's the truth. They want to spend more before they hand over whatever is left to him. He can have that. There is no fear in the gospel. Can we say that together? There's no fear in the gospel. Because it's good news. It can't be good news and, and, and bring fear at the same time. It can't be good news and bring uncertainty at the same time. There's no one to whom the gospel is preached in its true nature that will not smile and be broken at what is on offer. 
It's, it's good news. Whatever the gospel is, whatever it means, it's good news. It's good news. Good news is once you were not a people, and now you have become a people. Good news is you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Good news is in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The, the good news is that mystery was hidden before the ages, but is now revealed to you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is good news. That Christ came into the world, 2 Corinthians 5, not imputing their trespasses to them. He has reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. As he said, I have forgiven your transgressions and I remember your sins no more. That's good news. That's why the gospel doesn't excite Christians anymore because Christians don't know what the gospel is. They were saved, but not by the gospel. Many Christians were blackmailed into becoming Christians. I'm twisted into becoming Christians. You go out tomorrow now and a car hits you and you die. Where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity is this small. The question mark is this big. <laughs> so even when you close your eyes, all you are seeing is that big question mark. And so we don't have robust walks with God because we don't know what we're saved into. We don't know what we're saved by. The gospel is good news. It's not scare tactics. The gospel is love. It's not judgment. The gospel is forgiveness, not condemnation. Where are your accusers, woman? Where are your accusers? Nobody accuses you. Oh, well, neither do I. Go and sing no more. The woman, she just obtained mercy. She didn't confess her sin. He just told her, go and sin no more. New creation, go. Remember me when you get into your kingdom. He says, ah, you know what? Today you'll be in paradise. Die, let's go. No baptismal class, no confession of sin, no altar call, no sinner's prayer. None of that. Instantly he was saved. And he wasn't any less saved than anybody else who got saved. Where then is the condemnation coming from? I was sharing with Lady Choice yesterday about the story of a man. In, Jesus told a parable about the story of a servant who was owing a huge amount of money to his master, the king. He was brought before the king and the king forgave the debt and let him go. He left and met a younger servant owing much, much less by comparison. He caught the guy, had the guy beaten up and had the guy thrown in jail. 
Other servants came and told the king, look at, God, he that is forgiven much loves much. Where do we preach condemnation from? He had not died and he said, why are you accusers? There's only one. His name is Satan the devil. There's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. There's no condemnation. That's good news. It excites you. It doesn't make you cry. If you heard the real good news at your so-called altar call, you should be jubilating like you lost your mind. You'll be dancing and jubilating. You mean my sins are forgiven? You mean I have eternal peace with God? You mean my eternity with God is guaranteed because of what Christ did? You should be standing on your head and waving your legs in the air. Not crying <laughs> because Sam said a broken and contrite heart. He will not despise. Old Testament! There was no grace then. Men had to atone for their sins in that order. Man had to show contrition, brokenness, contrite. Had to show, so they had to wear sackcloth and ashes and atone for their sins to show physical and emotional remorse because there was no God helping a fallen man at that time. Do you understand what I just said? There was no God speaking for man to God at that time. Now we have a high priest, the man Christ Jesus, who having finished from his work has sat at the right hand of the Father. Now God is yearning with God on my matter. Perpetually. I don't have to do anything about it. Once and for all he paid the price. He is not going to pay it again. If before I sinned the first one, he paid for all my sins, there's nothing I do that takes me away from his hand. I hadn't done the first wrong and he paid. God is not a bad businessman. He should have stocked up a few Jesuses to be killing every now and then. Is anyone understand what I'm saying? Once and for all. Because see, from the beginning, God could have decided to have twins. Think about it. It's funny, but it's true. He could have decided to have as many children as are necessary to be paying for sins. But he had one. And he knew that that one will bring all the rest into glory. That one. One. That one. That's the gospel. Let's close this. There's no fear in the gospel. The gospel doesn't have a bad side. You know, like the car I was explaining to you. There's no fear in love, 1 John 4, 18. There's no fear in love, for perfect love casts out all fear. So whatever the gospel is, if it's good news, it cannot be bad news. Because if it's bad news, it cannot be good news. Hello? Whatever, it is, whatever the gospel is, whatever it means, it cannot be bad news. It cannot be God is mad at you and God loves you in the same sentence. 
Also, the, the gospel is information that is relevant to the condition of its hearers. The gospel is information that is relevant to the condition of its hearers. Whether rich, whether poor, whether sick, whether... Because if you say to someone, oh, the gospel is God came to make you well from your sickness. How about people who are naturally just don't fall sick? You know? It's relevant to the condition of all its hearers. So clearly, there is something to the gospel that we're missing. There has to be more to it. It can't be about money. Because you get the money, then what? Children, you get the children, then what? The gospel at every point in time is relevant to all its hearers. So it can't be about the poor becoming rich. It can't be about the sick becoming well. It can't be about the downtrodden becoming elevated. It can't be about me having more understanding or uh, advancing above my mates. So who should advance and leave who if we're all in the kingdom? Father, I will prosper above my mates. So I should prosper above Stephen. And Stephen is praying to prosper above wisdom. Wisdom is praying to prosper above Ephraim. Ephraim is saying that the Lord has told him he will prosper above James. And we are fostering competition. Among ourselves. So who is the person that is in the Lord that should not prosper? Who is in the Lord that should not increase? Father, lift me above my mates. Lift me above my peers. Stupid prayers we pray. So who should be left behind in the Lord? Who is a junior child of God? Who is a junior child of God? Who is the less privileged child of God? That should not prosper, that should not be elevated. Because you want to be elevated above your peers. Everybody has a path carved out for him. Wherever your path takes you, the destination is Christ. Everybody has a path carved out. The destination, we all converge. Christ. That's the gospel. It's relevant to everybody. Proverbs 25, 25, somebody. Romans 10, 15. Let's close this. Is it helping anybody? Yes. Proverbs 25, 25. Romans 10, 15. If you find it, read. It's good news. Proverbs 25, 25. Read if you find it. Proverbs, Proverbs 25, 25. Romans 10, 15. Yes, Mrs., please. Let the missus read. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a far country. As cold water to a weary soul, so is good news. So when somebody hears the gospel, it should be jubilating. It should be like somebody that just came out of the Kalahari Desert and you give them a chilled bottle of a glass of water with a lemon hanging on the edge. Who knows what I'm talking about? A nice chapman in the day of heat. That's what the good news should do to someone. Not make them think about themselves and go, oh Lord. Because, listen to this, listen to this. If you are crying about your sins at the point of hearing the gospel or good news, you are crying about the sins that God doesn't remember. Are you not foolish? Uh, That's right. Because the price had been paid. Since he didn't take away the sins of the church. 
John said he took away the sins of who? The world. God did not reconcile the church to himself. God reconciled the world to himself. Do you understand? We are not the light of the church. We are the light of the world because he came to shine light in a dark world. So everything God did through Christ has a world view in it. Not a myopic local denomination church view. What Christ paid, he paid for the world. Does that make sense? So an unbeliever hasn't received it because they haven't heard it. And they haven't believed it. The moment they receive it and believe it, it's not when it happened. It's when their portion is activated in their lives. In their past, in their present, and in their future. Do you understand? When you received it, when you received the salvation message, it's not when you were saved. It's when the salvation of the world was activated in your own life. Dealing with your past, dealing with your present, dealing with your future. Because even people that slept in the Lord, Paul makes it clear, and I'm not come there, that when he forgave the sins, he forgave the sins of even those in the past. It's in your Bible. Otherwise, it would not have been a fair price, sir. If I had not yet been born, but all the sins I will sin, I'm sinning, I will sin, were paid for, and then somebody died without the cross, and then he's judged by his sin, it's not a fair price. So Paul makes it clear that he also, not just for our sins alone, but for the sins of those in the past. Abraham heard the gospel. Ah. Galatians 3.8. I want to close this thing off. I've gone ahead of myself now. Whew. Yeah, if you find it, read. Yeah, read. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Mm-hmm. Preach the gospel to Abraham before I saved. <laughs> you all the nations shall be Oh my days. Who, who, who had the gospel? Who preached it to him? (laughs) So the scripture, the gospel cannot be material things. We'll continue next week. (laughs) If Jesus preached it before he died, even though it was supposed to be about his dying, if Abraham heard it before Jesus, <laughs> what is the gospel? We have to know it. <laughs> what is the gospel? <laughs> and what other message is there to preach apart from the gospel? We'll finish this next. This is just introduction. We'll finish this introduction in our next meeting. And then we'll go into the message of the gospel. Then it begins to be clear what the message of the gospel is. What is the gospel? And if you are glad that you are saved. And that you now know what it means to be saved. It's not a joke. 
It's not a small price. A Christ paid. It's good news. It's good news. You can, you, listen, you cannot know the gospel and, and not be excited. Honestly, the measure to which you know the gospel is the measure of your excitement about the gospel. You cannot. There's, there's no way you will not be passionate about God if you were saved by this gospel. This gospel. This gospel that Abraham heard. This gospel that Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. <laughs> Abraham saw Christ and was glad. Yet he did not see Christ. He received the promise, but he didn't obtain it. Hebrews 11. Because Abraham, who is my father in the faith, needed my faith to complete his own. He had, to him was given the promise. To me, is given the actualization of the promise. There's no way you will know the gospel and not be excited about God. No, no, no. I, I don't mean excited about church activities. I mean about God, Yahweh. It'll excite you. Can you just give him praise tonight for the for, for the gospel? Anyhow you want to do it. You want to pray in the spirit, you want to thank him. This concludes him. this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.